Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. This is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. job I have yeah well if I haven't I need to because it is got an email this morning I'm laying in bed <laughs> it's like 615 somebody says hey I need your help so and she puts her phone number in it so I'm laying in bed. Like, what does a human being do? I touch the number on my cell phone that's in the email. Little button comes up that says call question mark. Yep. So, and this happens in the f- space of about 10 seconds, right? Phone buzzes. Pssst, I read it. Maybe 60 seconds. I'm like, why not? So I call. She, she says, her name's Susie, hello? And I said, you said to call. She starts laughing. She's like, oh, my God, I sent that, like, just now. I said, oh, so you want me to get back to you in two weeks? She goes, no, 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 no. And, um, you know, <clears throat> I would tell you that it's, a very, very typical story of worried about her son who loses his father. Is there when it happens? 
goes to therapy. He's medicated. And then he quits going to therapy because he says it's stupid. And then he's trying to figure it out on his own. I said, let me tell you, man. He's as normal as normal could be because that's exactly the way we do it. That's exactly the way we're dealt with. That's exactly what happens. So um, so they're both about to get their life changed. And the coolest part about it is that it's a skill that, you know, that they'll they'll use. They'll see the impact, and they'll do it for the rest of their life. Now, let me tell you what else is really cool. The only reason that happens is because a woman by the name of Peggy Cooney, right, and another woman by the name of Susan Keeley, um, they call me and say, hey, could we talk to you? You need to start doing seminar. And I said, yeah, I don't know how to do that. They said, well, we can we can show you. We can help you. So that's how these seminars started, right? So one of the guys in the seminars is named Jeff. Jeff has me on his podcast that he streams on Facebook. And it's called Back to Zero. So, and back is spelled B-A-C, and it stands for blood alcohol content. So it's about, you know, drinking and trying to get sober. And one of the interesting things about that is a lot of these people will tell you that, you know, I tried to deal with my drinking, but I never really dealt with why I drank. And that's what you that's what you've helped me do. <clears throat> and so the point of the point of the point of the point is this. There's this pyramid thing that happens with post traumatic winning. And it's what happens with a unit when I do it with them. And that is, you know, I sat in there that class that I had to go to, but you know what? Dude made sense. He actually spoke to us. He actually gave us tools that we could use to help people. And so then I met somebody, you know, who I see every day who was struggling. And so we had a conversation. And I just did what that <laughs> I did what that dude said to do. And guess what? It fucking worked. And that moment is a little piece of magic. Because you now have a tool that you can use for the rest of your life. And that's pretty big stuff. That's pretty big stuff. So happened to me last night during a, a weekly seminar that I, that I do. And I'll tell you what, last night was, <clears throat> was amazing. Absolutely, positively amazing. And, you know, I say that, and um, and I can't even convey it. When you see somebody who struggled with alcohol for decades, like stand up and do something they've never didn't, done before, and they're terrified to do, just like you know, I was talking last night about one of the things that never ceases to move me is courage. And I've seen a lot of it in my life. And I saw some last night. And it's just, <laughs> man, it moves me. And when you see somebody, you know, in, in a group of people say something that you're like, wow, straight up courage. 
And so, pretty amazing. And last night was was an amazing night to watch. And uh, we're in like the, that was the sixth meeting. So these people have gotten to know each other a little bit, and they've they've made it through, um, almost through the the presentation. And um, next week will be the sixth, the last time we talk. You know, the videos are are all done, so the six pieces are done, installed, and then uh, and then we'll go from there. But it's and so they've they've thought about this for a couple months now. They've considered it. And now you're watching them kind of do their thing, and it's it's amazing. It's absolutely positively amazing. So, so anyway, on this uh, on this Wednesday morning, Hump Day across the country. Good morning to everybody. I'll tell you what we're going to do today. Um, because I'm only doing the show four days a week now, um, and I've kind of eliminated the the news thing I do every day. Um, what I'll do probably one day a week is just take a look at the news and talk about the news headlines. So, um, so that's what I'll do. So that's what today's going to do. We'll, uh, haven't really looked at the news, the DOD news and what's going on around the world. So we'll do that a little bit today. The Mensa brothers will join me tomorrow. So, um, so good morning to you on this, uh, on this Wednesday morning, the United States Marine Corps band, makes this morning official. Good morning. This is dedicated to three people and I'll, who've, um, who inspire me. And um, uh, one's name is Jane. The other one named Susie. The other one named um, is Peter. And all within the last 24 hours. Yeah. So this is dedicated to all them. And, uh, again, courage is something that, um, on a daily basis is, uh, is pretty profound and, uh, in my life never ceases to move me and, uh, and I can't watch it often enough. And it's amazing how this thing called post-traumatic winning 
inspires people um, to be courageous. And I'm really proud of that. And I'm really proud of these people. betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds and win. You gotta win. That winning thing. Yep. It's important, not gonna lie to you. We'll check the weather before we head to the news. Currently mostly sunny in eighty five in Quantico. Down the coast of Camp Lejeune it is mostly sunny and eighty four. 29 Palms, Marine Corps base. It's cooled off. Partly sunny and 86 degrees. Yep. Camp Pendleton, partly sunny, 68 degrees. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy, 74. Camp Butler in Okinawa, dark cloudy, 80. In the Philippines, dark raining in 80. And in Darwin. Yeah, a little bit of emphasis on the South China Sea region. Anyway, um, clear dark and 75 currently in the coast mason newport beach area of southern california it is partly sunny that's not true it's like totally sunny and 69 degrees looking for a high today of all the way up to 79 79 today 79 tomorrow 78 on friday 
79 on Saturday, 80 on Sunday. That is a look at your weather here. I just got a text from Dave in Vacaville. Where is he? He's at Paris Island. <laughs> Congratulations. He's a little vacation. Like, who vacations at Paris Island? I'm not, sh- I'm not sure about that. So, um, w- what's the weather like? Actually, I'm going to be there a couple months. Be in Buford, right next to Paris Island. So, yeah, how about that? Uh, Going to head back east and do post-traumatic winning again. Um, that is a look at your news. The um, We will go ahead and... Uh, I need to get on one of those old guy softball teams. I could still play. Yeah. I can still run. So I could go get the ball. Um, my... Arm, I don't know. I think I damaged my rotator cuff years ago. And what happens to me is I can play, right? And then I'll make a throw and I'll try to put a little bit extra on it. And something will happen at the top of my shoulder, which is your rotator cuff. And um, then not so good. Then I have to throw sidearm. So... But I need to go. Yeah, I need to. I need to go do that. So, um, yeah, just a thought there. A little bit of straight voltage. All right, we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna check out the news here. Um, and if you have, if you're just joining me, um, you know the demands of post traumatic winning in my life have increased. So, gonna do the show four days a week instead of five. Start taking. And actually, it's not even a day off. It's just being able to do other work that I need to do, write and do some other things. So um, in support of post-traumatic winning. So I got to do that. Um, um, so yeah, four days a week. And uh, so normally, instead of doing the news every day, what I'll do is I'll I'll pick one day and uh, do the news. You know, and uh, I would like to see if I, maybe I'll get Will to come on and talk about new stuff with will smart guy so he likes talking current events so maybe i'll see if i can get will to come on and once a week and dissect the news with me but he's a busy guy driving back from a high school reunion um the um one of the things that's crazy that you see on tv now is the proliferation of beatings and shootings because everybody's got a camera in front of their store. Everybody's got a camera in front of their home now. And a lot of this stuff is captured on, you know, live on footage. And then you're watching it. And it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy to watch that stuff and the amount of it. And again, the power of video, right? The power of video. All right. Um, Top stories. Um, If you go to Stars and Stripes, um, top story is the U.S. military couldn't stop the heroin trade from funding the Taliban. (laughs) 
but synthetic opium producers might. Hmm. So synthetic opium is going to put natural grown opium out of business? The global drug trade could eventually accomplish what the U.S. military tried and failed to do in Afghanistan, bust up a heroin industry that fuels insurgencies and corruption. A threat to the Afghan heroin heroin market, which accounts for anywhere between 10 and 30% of the country's gross domestic product, people will say it's larger than that, looms because of a growing preference among drug producers for far cheaper synthetic opiums, such as fentanyl, according to a RAND Corporation study. Quote, All told, fentanyl represents an attractive alternative for drug producers and marketers who are looking to reduce their operating costs and risk. Therefore, when comparing the two drugs, it is hard to see how heroin can compete directly and indefinitely with low-cost, high-potency alternatives. That's that's from Rand. Fentanyl is already displacing major heroin markets in the U.S. How about that? Fentanyl is similar to morphine, but is 50 to 100 times more potent. The National Institute for Drug Abuse said on its website. Fentanyl can be churned out in laboratories from cheap chemicals, providing quicker turnarounds than harvesting poppies that are the key to the Afghan opium trade. Hmm. I don't know. I guess time will tell, certainly. So, so interesting story in the news. Um, I went to Helmand Province, which is, I think, the capital for um, opium production in Afghanistan. From USNI News, uh, there's a series of stories. Um, one is Surface SWOBOS, which stands for Surface Warfare Officer, um, the guy who's in charge of that. The um, Bonham Richard Blaze prompts Navy to add more fire marshals and training. Story written by Sam Legrone. And um, let's, it starts like this. Lessons from the fire that took out a 40,000-ton U.S. warship are trickling out into the fleet a year after the blaze, the head of the U.S. Naval Surface Force told reporters this week. While results of the official investigation of how the Navy lost the former USS Bonham Richard likely won't be made public until September, the Naval Surface Forces have moved to tighten fire safety on the pier and in the maintenance yard. For starters, after the fire, Surface Forces assessed compliance with fire guidance laid out by Naval Sea Systems Command for ships in maintenance and found gaps. Quote, we found that in some cases, maybe we we weren't doing as well as we should, he said. Do you remember this whole idea of operational discipline? Right? 
doing the things you're supposed to do and how this trend, and again, it's not just the Navy, right? It's the same trend, you know, you know, the Navy's probably out in front, but I would tell you the Marine Corps, the Army, and the Air Force are not far behind. And if you and if you look at their accidents and their Class A mishaps, and you begin to put those investigations side by side, you see the same lack of attention, right? To detail, you see the same you see the same lack of discipline across the board in these things. Quote. We found that in some cases, maybe we weren't doing as well as we should have. We're pretty good at firefighting at sea and all those procedures. When we got into the industrial environment, it was okay. Looks like we need some. It was okay. Looks like we need to kind of make sure there's a little bit of an education. Fires while ships are in maintenance are often harder to fight than those at sea. Fewer crew members are aboard to fight it. A blaze aboard ship. Larger ships could be jammed with scaffolding, impeding movement through the ship. Man, let me just tell you, a lot of excuses. A lot of excuses. And again, you know, this is not when you're having so between underway periods. It's not like the Bonhomme Richard was in the yard. It wasn't. It was undergoing routine maintenance uh, in a yard, and not even in a yard, tied up to the pier. That's routine stuff. You know, the way you repair metals and you modify stuff is you have welders come on, and you can smell them in the ship. So anyway, um, so it'll be interesting when that, again, when that investigation comes out. Uh, Senate Armed Service Committee advances Secretary-Designate of the Navy, Del Toro's, uh, nomination to the full Senate. Senate Armed Service Committee on Tuesday, that would be yesterday, approved Senator Joe Biden's nominee to serve as the top Navy civilian, paving the way for a vote on the Senate floor. The SASC approved Carlos Del Toro, a former surface warfare officer, via a voice vote, the committee said on Tuesday. So, um, bad in the news. Um, Also from USNI News, UK Carrier. HMS Queen Elizabeth is now on the edge of the South China Sea. The UK Carrier Strike Group 21 includes a submarine, a frigate, the HMS Richmond, the HMS Kent, Type 45 guided missile destroyer, HMS Defender. Love that name. Right. Couple of um, supply and refueling ships. The USS destroyer, the Sullivans. Yeah, very famous. Named after the Sullivans that were all aboard, what, five brothers all on the same ship in World War II, all killed. The Dutch frigate. 
HNLMS Ebertson, the nuclear attack boat HMS Artful, the Marine Corps Fighter Attack Squadron VMFA-211. How about that? So that's all aggregated aggregated uh, with the uh, HMS Queen Elizabeth. And there, I went. I want to say they went through the, the Suez Canal, and then they participated in an exercise, and now they're um, getting ready to move in the South China Sea. So uh, interesting stuff. And again, I, what's important about this? What's important is that the Brits see that they have responsibility in the region. What's important, right, is that the Dutch have kicked in the ship. So they make a statement, okay? So again, you know, the French are in the region. So what you're seeing is something that, a message that sorely needs to be sent to the Chinese, and that is the free nations of the world are interested, okay, are interested. So again, it's it's a huge. They're huge steps in the right direction. Um, next story. This is from Marine Corps. I found it on Marine Corps Times, not necessarily a Marine Corps story, but it's an Associated Press story written by Robert Burns, probably the AP's most reputable writer, at least one of the top writers there. Headline: U.S. stepping up airstrikes this week to support Afghan forces. Now, what's interesting about this is last week in the press conference that. Um, the Secretary of Defense did with the chairman um, when asked about the over the horizon strike capability the Secretary of Defense said specifically but that will be used to deter or to deal with the counterterrorism threat in the region Al Qaeda right the Islamic State right in Afghanistan and then all of a sudden, we see that over the over the horizon capability being used in support of Afghan forces. So, interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. So, um, U.S. military this week has launched additional airstrikes in support of Afghan government forces in their fight against the Taliban using both conventional warplanes and armed drones, the Pentagon said on Tuesday. The strikes followed several conducted last week indicate stepping up of U.S. support after weeks of battlefield gains by the Taliban as U.S. troops complete their withdrawal. The aircraft are being flown from bases outside of Afghanistan because the U.S. military has pulled all of its combat planes out of the country. Quote, number of strikes have occurred over the past several days from both manned and unmanned strike platforms, Major Robert Lodwick, a Pentagon spokesman, said. He did not provide further details. Other officials said this, that last week's airstrikes targeted Taliban positions in combat as well as military equipment that had been captured by the Taliban. Ah. General Frank McKenzie, the head of U.S. Central Command, who is overseeing the U.S. military withdrawal and making decisions on air support for Afghan troops said on Sunday the airstrikes had been increasing. Quote, we're prepared to continue this heightened level of support in the coming weeks if the Taliban continue their attacks. So again, I I think, I mean, if you're an Afghan 
and you throw in with the federal government, I mean, this is good news that the United States, although they may be leaving the country, most significant is their air power keeps the Taliban from massing, which then allows the government to um, to have, I, I think, a stronger negotiating position. Because while, and again, there's been articles, and I think I, you know, I, I've I've talked about it here, but uh, there's this, you know, there's this campaign of assassinations of pilots in Afghanistan, sponsored by the Taliban, knowing that. You know, if they can deal, if the Americans are gone and decide they're not going to support, you know, with aviation assets, and if we just assassinate pilots, the planes will rot and nobody will fly them. And once we can do that, then we can mass our forces, which means we could put greater pressure on the federal government. Well, you know, not happening. Well, the Americans actually have a stronger position. They're not in a position where we can we the Taliban can touch them because they're they're gone. So not a good not a good development, right? Not a good development for the Taliban. Very good for the federal government. Um, top stories in early bird, right? Secretary of Defense is uh, in Vietnam, and. Uh, Headline, SecDef Austin outlines U.S. commitment to the Pacific while China protests the United Kingdom's carrier operations in the South China Sea. Uh, This is from Kuala Lumpur. And uh, former General Austin, current Secretary of Defense Austin, also in Vietnam. And again, I mean, this guy needs to be there on a regular basis. Showing the flag, you know, gripping and grinning, doing the stuff that he needs to do to open those doors. And then we've got to open economic doors to the Philippines, and we've got to create sweetheart deals for them. Right? Instead of saying made in China, we should we should want it made in the Philippines. Instead of made, instead of made in China, we should want it made in Vietnam. Hey, why not? What's the difference? Um, so the story... Reads like this. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin reiterated America's commitment to the Indo-Pacific and chided China during a speech at the 40th International Institute for Strategic Studies Fullerton Lecture held in Singapore on Tuesday. Austin criticized China for its action in the region, but said the U.S. is not seeking confrontation with China and that he is committed to pursuing constructive, stable relationships with Beijing. He said China's claims to be the I could say this. He said China's claims on the majority of the South China Sea have no basis in international law, and that no such that such an assertion treads on the sovereignty of the nations in the region. Yeah, their nine dash line. If you're not familiar with that, go ahead and just Google that. China's nine dash line, and look at where. Look at where they draw their territorial uh, and economic rights. I think it's like a thousand miles away. And then they went to the International Court of the Hague. The Philippines did. International Court of the Hague rules in favor of the Philippines. But the Philippines doesn't really want to enforce that. Why? Because it will get them on the outs with China. So anyway, 
Um, the, um, what else? Austin added that China's unwillingness to resolve disputes peacefully and respectfully relative to the rule of law is not just occurring on the water, but in other spheres as well, like aggression against India, destabilizing military activity, and other forms of coercion against the people of Taiwan, and genocide and crimes against humanity against the Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang. Yeah, say that one three times fast. While the differences and disputes are real, Austin said it's important how they are managed. Quote, we will not flinch when our interests are threatened, yet we do not seek confrontation. So let me be clear. As secretary, I'm committed to pursuing a constructive, stable relationship with China, including stronger crisis communications with the PLA. You know, big powers need to model transparency and communication. And we hope that we can work together with Beijing on common challenges, especially the threat of climate change. You know, that was really, really (laughs) well-crafted until that last thing. Like, what? The threat of climate change? That's what you threw out there? Anyway. Um, As for recovery, Austin stated the U.S. has been rushing urgently needed assistance, including testing... Um, he's talking about helping out with COVID in the region. So anyway, um, interesting, interesting stuff, right? The United States more engaged. And again, my chief criticism of, um, my chief criticism of the Trump administration would be this. A lack of outreach in the South China Sea economically once they tubed the TP the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So, Secretary Austin in the news a little bit. The um, second story, DOD dragged its feet on toxic chemical exposure prevention and cleanup, the Inspector General, I believe, of the DOD funds. Now, this story is gross, right? Back in 2011, the Defense Department's Emerging Chemical Program issued a risk alert detailing the hazards of per and polyfluorolical substances known collectively as PFAS found in aquinas film foam forming foam used to fight vehicle and aircraft fires. Then nothing happened. Due to a tricky bit of bureaucracy, the risk alert had no muscle behind it because it wasn't endorsed by the Pentagon's Emerging Chemicals of Concerned Governance Council, according to an IG report released Friday. In short, they could put out the alert, but there was no accompanying instruction to allow them to do anything about it. And now people are paying the price because that stuff has gotten to water tables, blah, 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 blah. Haven't we heard this before? Yeah, I think we have. And then, and then what happens is what the DOD does, and again, there's people from, from the Vietnam War still litigating Agent Orange exposure. Right? People who transported the chemicals, people whose lives were impacted by the chemicals. And, you know, 
and the Pentagon slow rolls the thing until, you know, everybody who is impacted will be dead and the bill will come down. Amazing. Um, next story in early bird. Number three, House Armed Service Committee bill would allow the Navy to retire cruisers early and adds funding for a second destroyer. Now, again, this we're going to talk about some of this stuff tomorrow uh, when we talk about Representative Luria's uh, piece that she wrote a bit ago about um, the Navy and a naval strategy, a maritime strategy for the United States. So, again, uh, the Navy has really... Um, been kind of front and center during the budget hearings and what they've been front and center on is not good. Yeah, no bueno. And um, this whole divest to invest thing that Representative Luria took them to task for and she kind of walks them through the history of this, this what she believes to be flawed strategy that got trotted out in 2005, 2006, something like that, and then it never pays off. And so she kind of takes him to task for that. So um, there's a Marine who's a representative from Maine. And he went down this rabbit hole with the CNO about trying to keep pipelines to build ships open. And, you know, Congress won't fund this ship. And the Navy, you know, cutting frigates and blah, 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 blah. Anyway. One panel of lawmakers is coming around to letting the Navy decommission its aging cruisers and reinvest the money in new ship construction, even as its Senate counterpart took the opposite approach, setting up a debate that puts at stake billions of dollars in spending. The House Armed Service Committee's Sea Power and Projection for Subcommittee announced Tuesday that its language in the National Defense Authorization Act would not prohibit the Navy from retiring any of its cruisers. The Navy had wanted to decommission some of them in accordance with previous schedules and retire others early because their modernization work is growing increasingly expensive and time-consuming and because the aging platforms aren't giving the sea service enough reliability or combat credibility for a modern fight. In total, the service asked to retire seven cruisers in fiscal 2022. The Senate Armed Service Committee has not released its full NDAA language, but said in a summary that its bill prohibits the early retirement of naval vessels unless the Secretary of the Navy makes certain certifications to Congress. It's unclear if the measure would apply to just the two cruisers the Navy wants to retire before their modernization work is complete or if it applies to all seven cruisers on the chopping block. So this is not a small deal, right? Ah. A House Armed Service Committee aide told reporters on Tuesday that the Sea Power Subcommittee, and that's you heard some of the testimony from that a few weeks ago here, right? And that was Representative Gallagher, Representative Moulton, Representative Luria, and I, I need to get, get the guy's name from uh, from Maine. But it was, I mean, I, one of the things I said, it gave you hope. You know, it gave you hope. Anyway, um, so th- this is that subcommittee. Quote, nothing that prevents the Navy from retiring the cruisers if you asked Courtney, and that's the subcommittee chairman, Joe Courtney, he's looked at this very closely. 
he's listened to the Navy. He recognizes the capability that would be lost if we lose the cruisers. But in his mind, the cruisers, we really have not gotten the life extension that we hoped to get when we did the service life extension for the cruisers. So it's a very expensive bill, about $1.5 billion over the five years of the program to even maintain just those two that were in the cruiser modernization plan. So Chairman Courtney is not of the opinion that we should be restricting those retirements. Another aide said during the call that Sea Power Subcommittee ranking member, so this would be the Republican, Rob Whitman from Virginia, still hasn't made up his mind on the issue. The aide said Whitman recognizes the significant bill associated with keeping the cruisers, but due to their significant missile launching capability, which the aide says rivals the entire British Royal Navy's surface strike fleet, quote, he has some pause with regard to getting rid of this cruiser force structure. So I think it's something we'll still be considering as we go to the full committee. Um, the full committee section will be released ahead of a planned September 1 markup. So circle that on your calendar when you'll see more news. So interesting stuff relative to the Navy and the Navy's budget as they fight for their modernization. Um, next story in top five in early bird today is the White House is seeking $1 billion to help resettle Afghan allies. Yeah, how about that? The White House is seeking a billion dollars to resettle Afghan personnel who worked with the U.S. military, according to multiple reports. People familiar with the matter told Bloomberg News that the request was made last Friday. The money would be divided between the Defense Department, the State Department, and $25 million would go to the Health and Human Services Office of Refugee Resettlement. The money would cover temporary shelter, resettlement, and other necessities. Asked about the request, a senior administration official said, quote, we're working closely with both sides of the aisle to see how we can further support those brave Afghans who supported our work in Afghanistan. Pretty pointed little uh, piece of video I saw. Um... Afghan interpreters talking about, you know, we watch the news and if we just somehow got ourselves to the United States, we could walk into the United States and be, you know, treated with open arms. But we who work for your country during this war, who are at risk here, we can't, we can't somehow or other get into your country. Yeah, that's not exactly... <laughs> That's not exactly the video that you want rolling around out there, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, those are top five stories in early bird overseas headlines. Uh, We already talked about U.S. stepping up airstrikes to support Afghan forces. And again, that's a bit of a tweak because if you go back, um, if you go back and you listen to that press conference, you hear the Secretary of Defense say very, very specifically um, 
that you know that over the horizon strike capability is going to be primarily primarily used as an anti-terrorism tool and which sounded very much like you know the Afghans have an air force they're on their own but this week general mckenzie not so much and now general mckenzie runs operations right the afghan command um has you know rolled its colors and you know left afghanistan so afghanistan is now uh directly a centcom fight with general mckenzie uh running that so so and he's coming he must be coming to the end of his time there i mean he's been there for a couple of years so uh i'm sure at some point pretty soon um we will see somebody else nominated the um Here's another Associated Press story. As tensions with China mount, U.S. Defense Secretary visits Vietnam and vows support for the reason. Um, so, <clears throat> meeting with his Vietnamese counterpart, right, SecDef, uh, while he's in Singapore, and he'll go to, uh, he'll fly to the Philippines on Friday. So again, these... Um, These visits aren't, I mean, they're a big deal in in the region, right? And so, again, um, you know, the fact that, you know, the Secretary of Defense is there, the fact that Secretary of State goes there, you know, that those are big deals. But I, I think the biggest thing that has to happen is, you know, we have to encourage more, uh, we have to economically encourage and incentivize doing business in the Philippines, doing business in Vietnam. It is in America's best interest, right, to 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 make that happen, to, to incentivize that for American corporations that, I don't know, whatever the tax is to bring stuff in from outside the United States, right, that um, that does not apply to items made in Vietnam and the Philippines or wherever else you would want to extend that. I don't know. What little, um, how you how you carve that, but that needs that needs to be done. So again, his presence in the region is 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 big. His physically going to these places is 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 a huge deal. Um, so again, given the fact that the Chinese are there constantly and uh, are in the region constantly, and they say, "Hey, look, the Americans come and go. We will always be there." So it's important that. You know the United States gets out there, and uh, and they go ahead and they uh, do their thing. The um, one more story. And that is this concept of you know the United States Navy's ghost fleet. The pair of Ghost Fleet ships, the Navy and the Pentagon's capabilities, strategic capabilities office, are using as test beds to prove large autonomous vessels can operate effectively at sea are slowly moving towards completely unmanned operations. Unlike the median, medium unmanned surface vessel demonstrators, Sea Hunter and Sea Hawk, the much larger 
converted offshore oil and gas transport vessels have yet to cross the threshold of operating with no one on board. Captain Pete Small, the Navy program manager for unmanned surface vessels, told an audience at AUBSI's unmanned defense conference on Tuesday, quote, the current way to operate them is that we pilot the USVs into and out of port in manual mode with a small crew on board. This is consistent with the Navy's plans for medium unmanned surface vessels and large unmanned surface vessels. Once the USVs are in open ocean, we make the transition to autonomous mode and continue with operations that include remote mission planning, command and control, and supervision from either a shore-based or a float. Pretty interesting, right? The two ghost fleet overlord ships, Nomad and Ranger, traveled from the Gulf Coast to their current California home, only moving into a man mode when transiting the Panama Canal. The rest of the voyage was controlled from California. So you would have a simulated bridge with the visual displays, and you would crew the ship. Pretty interesting, huh? And imagine this, that now those platforms have gotten bigger. They have rocket pods on them. And if they take damage and they sink, so be it. And you could send them into harm's way. You can have gas stations like that. Now the problem is, when somebody figures out how to break into your system that controls it, and they take over control of your ship, how do you harden that system so that that doesn't happen? Well, you you better let somebody turn your missiles on your shit, right? They take control of your ship, and they hit the red button. What just happened? Where do those missiles come from? They're our own? Yeah, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. Um, Email. Mac, are you going to post the article that Representative Luria wrote? Yes. Um, It'll be in tomorrow's post. So um, tomorrow the Mensa brothers will join me, and we'll talk about that. And then um, we were asked to broaden the number of battles we'd like to be able to watch because uh, people found that interesting uh, from one to three. So um, we'll do that. We'll do that tomorrow. We'll talk about that tomorrow. But interesting conversation, I think. Jeff said he wa- he'd like to be at the Battle of Little Bighorn. Tim said he'd he'd like to. And, and the conditions were you, you can't get killed or wounded. You're impervious to that. You're impervious to the weather conditions. And that you could come back and resume your own life. And so based on that, Wills was the oddest answer. You know, he'd like to be at St. Crispin's for that speech, which I'm not sure even ever took place. But anyway, so um, so yeah, so people said, you know, that was kind of interesting. Um, and to hear the rationale, would you mind doing it again? So I said, well, why don't we expand the list to three? 
And Jeff thought that was a grand idea, so that's what we're going to do. So so you'll hear that tomorrow. On Monday, Jeff Zulowitz from Navy Times going to join us. Jeff always an interesting guy to have on. Um, Grant Newsham is probably going to uh, join us next week, as he kind of does every every couple weeks. So we'll talk to Grant about, uh, get his thoughts on Secretary's Austin, Secretary Austin moving through the region, what it means, his trip to the Philippines, what it means, what it doesn't mean. Um so we'll uh we'll so that's coming up next week. So on a uh on a Thursday, that's a that's a look at what's in the news this week. Kinda of do that on a weekly basis, not on a daily basis now. And uh that'll do it. So I shouldn't have to say this but I will. If I can help you help somebody, do not be afraid, do not hesitate to pick up the phone, to shoot me an email, to shoot me a text, or do any of that. Because, um, again, on a regular basis, I see so many people that um, life has simply kicked their ass. They don't have a mental health issue. They just don't know, how do I get through this? And there's a path, and I can help show it to you so you can show it to somebody else. So if that's you, don't be afraid to call. Uh, until tomorrow morning, I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio on the All Warrior Radio Network. Have a great day. I'm out. Bye.